Hey everyone, welcome to Hit the Apex Podcast. I'm Jawad as always. Thank you for joining me today. How's everyone doing? I hope everyone is well wherever you are in the world. It's a sunny, gorgeous day here today um, in Melbourne. I've opened the curtains and looks nice, you know. I've got my um, tree out the front which uh, seems to be blooming quite well in the in the spring weather. My, my new tree. <laughs> um getting a bit too carried away I think just you know moving to a new house and uh even though that was months ago still trying to like figure out things and and all that doing all decorations and and everything but yeah no it's it's all good (laughs) um already I'm getting a bit carried away you could tell that I'm excited to, to to record today and that's probably you know why um it's better to do this fortnightly instead of every week, um, you know, just coming on to do a race preview. I probably end up rambling a bit more than I would if I had a race review where there's a bit more um, substance in there. Got a lot to talk about today, um, but I will manage to cram it into the usual time that I do this um, and plenty on the supercars front as well which I'll go over a bit later but again yeah had a good time on the weekend after the Turkish Grand Prix doing the race review for the F1 Chronicles Grid Talk podcast so if you haven't been following uh, my episodes lately i've been uh doing some guest appearances for the grid talk podcast great great bunch of people um great dedicated team that run f1 chronicle as well so um very exciting to be involved with them even if it does mean i am up at crazy stupid hours uh to be able to record with them on us and and uk time so i'll put the link in the description for the turkish grand prix review that i did with um them great fun great banter and uh yeah you know you can catch them they do do preview recordings um over the weekend which they'll do this week for the united states grand prix so keep an eye out for them on youtube um otherwise yeah that was that was good fun (laughs) um let's talk about the turkish grand prix and interesting interesting race you know it was a a good race for valtteri bottas who ended his 12-month winless streak also from pole position two Clinical, clinical drive, you know, and it's one of those things that you reflect on after the race, and I'm sure I mentioned it on Grid Talk as well, apart from saying that, oh, you know, there's a coincidence in the fact that it's also World Porridge Day um, that Bottas has won, so, you know, that that, that got many laughs, I'm pretty sure. (laughs) Um, So bad, so bad is my humour. You kind of reflect on... Where has this Bottas been all season, you know? Why don't we see more of this Bottas? This is the Valtteri Bottas that I fell in love with, you know, when when he was driving for Williams and then he made his break for Mercedes after Nico Rosberg retired. We just, yeah, he goes absent, you know, and fair play to, to him because from a team perspective, he has done everything that he needs to do to be able to secure world championships or constructors world championships for the team. You know, he's on paper doing a better job than than Sergio Perez at the moment, for example, um, which is a completely different argument. But as far as, you know, fulfilling that potential, you know, and seeing him up there, you know, it would have been nice in his Mercedes career to have seen him do not maybe as close to his Nico Rosberg style championship battle with with Hamilton, 
but you know have a championship fight between the two until the final race you know keep it nip and tuck and you know wheel to wheel and all that but don't get all that psychological stuff involved but alas that was not the case and here we are you know many years later now that um, Bottas is ready to go off to Alfa Romeo on a multi-year deal with them starting next year some people even say that you know he's probably driving with an element of newfound freedom as well given the fact that he's got his future secure it's no longer you know a a year by year a year by year basis you know that he was being kept at Mercedes so you know perhaps perhaps he is so you know there's also the fact that this could have very well been his final F1 win for Mercedes you know is the 10th of his career um it could have been his final win that we see ever not, I'm not going to say ever, but, you know, possibly for, for a long time, you know, given where Alfa Romeo currently is. I don't picture them being, you know, winners in 2022, even as radical as the rule changes are. So, you know, we, we could uh, yet <laughs> wait a while to see Mr. Bottas on the podium, on the top step of the podium again. So, Running through, I guess, the narrative of the weekend, we had Lewis Hamilton coming in with a championship lead, of course, only a couple of points over Max Verstappen. Um, the big question mark was whether he would take a grid penalty for a change of power unit, given that Max did it the weekend before in Russia. Um, Bottas has already done it twice as well in consecutive races. Um, but Mercedes kind of blindsided everyone and elected only to change the ICE, so the internal combustion unit on Hamilton's car. Um, there's a question mark over the reliability of the other components as well that make up the power unit, but they felt that the ICE was the one that they desperately needed to introduce a fourth um, element into their pool, so they did that. That only incurred a 10-place grid penalty instead of dropping to the back of the grid, Um Mercedes had excellent pace all weekend, and that was reflected in Bottas's win as well, given how quick they were. Hamilton was quick enough to actually take pole, um, or was fastest in qualifying on the Saturday, but then obviously had to take the penalty, and that allowed Bottas to start from pole. But then, unfortunately, in the race, it didn't really go Hamilton's way. He lost his chance to finish on the podium with a late tyre change, which we'll get to because we had some some wet weather. The race, well, the race was pretty much run in the wet in intermediate conditions. Um, And this gave Max Verstappen a leg up. And, you know, now he comes out of this race with a uh, six-point lead in the championship. So the way the the championship's been to and froing all season has been quite fascinating. You know, no one really gets a lead of over 10 points or since... I think, you know, the the British Grand Prix, you know, when when Max had his DNF or whatever, the lead that he had built up from, you know, his hat-trick of wins and whatnot just got completely wiped away, and since then it's kind of been going back and forth between the two. So Red Bull and Max Verstappen, unfortunately, didn't have the pace this weekend. You know, it was a shame because they put on put on a show with the tribute livery to Honda, special colours that they ran for the team, and very rare occasion that you see, if ever, that Red Bull have changed their colours for, for someone else, you know, but um, paying tribute to their uh, engine supplier there in Honda um, because it is, of course, their final year as being official engine supplier, I guess, even though they are going to be hanging around in some capacity next year and, and the year after with certain personnel helping Red Bull with their powertrains project. They were good enough for P2. You know, they kept 
pretty close to Valtteri during the race, but, you know, basically another race of damage limitation, which, you know, we saw him do in Russia quite well. It was like a win for them to come from the back of the grid and finish second, but this time round it was a lot better, you know, because it got them the championship lead. Um, the way the race started, Lewis trying to make his uh, run up from the back or from, from P11. He gets stuck by Yuki Tsunoda before then getting stuck behind Sergio Perez in P5. Nice little battle between him and Perez there on lap 34 where Lewis gets the better run off turn 12 or into turn 12 I should say and kept it wheel to wheel going into turn 1 in which Checo did stay ahead. Now there was no um, investigation or anything required for Checo hitting the bollard on pit entry um, because Hamilton kind of you know put him put himself as wide as he could just um and as a result Checo did hit that bollard so all was fair there and it was great to see Checo racing this way you know wheel to wheel you know a lot of people criticizing him for not really featuring up the front this year or you know not not playing that support role or whatever but I think this is probably one of his best best races of the season for for Red Bull you know to then finish P3 as well on the podium it was a bit concerning, though, earlier on in the race, or sorry, I should say, apologies, it's hay fever season, <clears throat> um, you know, going into the pit stop phase, uh, Checo pitting, even though he was ahead of Hamilton, and Hamilton had no intention to pit, initially thought it was a bit of a mistake, because we thought that it, it's cost Perez a podium, but, you know, it's it, it came back in his favour because of the situation with Hamilton, Max on lap 37 was the first of the leaders to trigger the pit stops, he came in for a fresh set of inters, Bottas came in straight after as well, and amongst this little period we saw Sebastian Vettel who just, I guess, had one of those really forgettable weekends, he lost his chance to finish in the top 10, um, his intuition or something like that, he said in the post-race uh, comments there um, to the media, that, you know, it was his intuition or something that made him think that Slicks were the right uh, tyre at that time. That backfired pretty quickly. And, you know, that uh, it saw him basically come in again the following lap and have to change back to intermediate tyres. But the way that the intermediates work around this intercity Istanbul circuit, like we saw last year, is that they basically turn into... Uh, there's, you've got the grooves on there, that's all good for wet weather, but because of how, you know, abrasive the track surface is, or how bad it is, um, it kind of wears through that pretty quickly, and that's where you go through the first phase of losing out the grip, you know, you basically lose pace, you lose grip, you lose everything, but then there's this next phase where those slicks pretty much bowled down to the point of becoming, sorry, the intermediates bowled down to becoming slick tyres, essentially, and that's how, you know, we saw Esteban Ocon run to the end of the race without making a pit stop at all, first time that's happened since Olivier Panis did that in Monaco all those years ago, um, and he finished 10th as a result, so the fact that, you know, we saw it happen last year, saw it happen this year again. That's why a lot, you know, the guys like Hamilton and Charles Leclerc were reluctant to pit because they're like, well, we don't want to have to go through all that pain again to get our tyres to the to the sweet spot that they were. Yet, the fact that 
Max, Bottas, the rest of the guys who, who finished up there, Perez, they all pitted at the right time in the race, which would allow their tyres to, you know, before the end of the race, get back to that stage where they were, where they were bold enough to be used as slick tyres. So, you know, with those guys, with Max, with Bottas, with Checo having pit, uh, Leclerc was leading, Hamilton was up to P3, um, Leclerc and Hamilton wanted to run their inters to the end of the race, but, you know, Mercedes kept calling in, Hamilton kept calling him in, uh, eventually they came in on lap 51 out of 58 laps in the race, uh, Hamilton at first thought it was he was all good, but then when he realised he came back out in behind, um, or just ahead of Pierre Gasly, I should say, uh, in fifth place, then he was furious because Basically, he was being threatened by Gasly and Norris at the end of the race there because their tyres were in, in that, you know, peak operating window or whatever. And Hamilton just basically was furious with his team for the rest of the race. And I'm sure there would have been an inquiry after that as to, to what went wrong. But I think, you know, they made a good decision to bring him into the pits because if he had stayed out on the tyres like Ocon did till the end of the race, then he would have finished probably just ahead of Ocon, you know, dropped all the way to P9 and lost even more points. So the fact that Mercedes semi kind of revived his chances there late in the race to pit that late, you know, saved him from finishing worse off. But at the same time, I feel like they should have pitted around the same time as the others because if he had the pace that he did all race, like Bottas, you know, better than Red Bull, then I still think that Hamilton would have been able to finish on the podium if he had pitted around the same time as those uh, other people did. And we saw Leclerc as well struggling through the latter part of the race after he made his pit stop. Um, very unfortunate finish given that Ferrari too had good pace. But um, he finished fourth anyway ahead of Hamilton. So he was missed out on the opportunity of uh, a podium too, given the fact that he qualified third in the race. Um, yeah, you know, it's it's <laughs> it's so funny that after Russia, where we praised Hamilton and Mercedes for making the right decision um, when it came to the pitting for the right tyre, a couple of weeks later there in uh, Turkey, it's the opposite. You know, they make the wrong decision. So it's, you know, they've got a win and lose as, as a team. So, you know, Hamilton will be licking his wounds after that one, that's for sure. And, you know, as a result, losing the lead of the championship too. So... Yeah, ultimately, as I said, they should have pitted earlier to survive the drop-off phase and then have those bold tyres for the end of the race and they would have been a bit more competitive and interesting hearing uh, Pirelli boss Mario Azola as well saying that he doesn't think that Hamilton would have made it to the end of the race if he kept those initial intermediate tyres that he started the race on. So... Perez collecting his first podium since the French Grand Prix, so great result for him, as I said, one of his best races this year. It's still a big uh, stretch in the Constructors' Championship between them and Mercedes, but it is kind of within uh, a race's worth of points if, you know, team finishes 1-2 and collects driver, not driver of the day, but the fastest lap. Um they can overhaul Mercedes, so that's going to be quite interesting, and I've said all along this year that as good as it would be to see Max win the Drivers' Championship, Red Bull will want to win the Constructors' Championship too, as, you know, given the fact that they've got Honda going on the outer next year, they they want to pay tribute to Honda, it will be good for Honda, you know, to 
have something to show for their trials and tribulations that they've gone through since coming back to F1 in 2015. So, you know, hopefully in the next run of races, um, going there to Dakota, to, to Mexico City, and then in Brazil as well, which is going to have sprint race confirmed for, for Saturday uh, for qualifying. So that was, you know, that was most likely going to happen. But uh, now that we know that we will be going to Brazil, that it will happen. And that'll be quite interesting as well in its own, in its, in its, uh, in its own respect. So we'll look forward to that when the time comes. So that kind of recaps the top five, you know, what happened at the front of the race. As I said, Gasly finished in sixth, Norris in seventh. And that was after Gasly uh, survived a five-second time penalty you know, he tagged Fernando Alonso on the first lap in the first corner um, and ended up having to serve a five-second time penalty. He still managed to finish sixth in the end, even though he did qualify in fourth. So all in all, pretty good day for, for him to have scored some points again consistently, um, and especially after the last two races that Pierre has had, um, Monza and Russia, they were pretty dismal, so some points in the bag would be good. Fernando Alonso, though, a bit disappointing because he did qualify so well um, in the top six to then finish outside the points with that um, the impact of that uh, incident with Gasly at the start. Um, he also... Alonso, in turn, then got caught up with Mick Schumacher as well at the back of the grid, which then um, ruined young Mick's race too. Mick had his best qualifying of the year and qualified P14 uh, with, you know, going into Q2, of course, for the first time or second time, I think, this year. So then Alonso got a five-second time penalty for that. So that's what um, <laughs> Gasly would have thought, a bit of karma there for him. But um, unfortunately, it could have been a better day for Alpine. And then, as I said, uh, Ocon barely, 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 <laughs> barely making it to uh, the finish in P10 to score a point there. The um, Alfa Romeo guys would have been a bit um, filthy with that. <laughs> Giovinazzi and Raikkonen finishing behind him. Um, another highlight too, and, you know, voted driver of the day, of course, by the fans. Uh, and I was, I was trying to just be a bit alternative and, and go for a different driver. I went with Checo for my driver of the day. But um, driver of the day is voted by the... Uh, mass populace was Carlos Sainz siding through the field from P19 on the grid to P8 um, and I guess it just justifies the the switch to the new Ferrari power unit that Leclerc had of course in Russia now Sainz has got it and he did quite well he quite he made it quite easy in the early part of the race to to get past all those cars Daniel Ricciardo as well took a power unit penalty heading into the race um, after qualifying because he ended up getting knocked out in Q2. Oh, I think it was in Q1, one of the two. It was very unfortunate due to the fact that Sainz ended up um, setting another lap in Q1 and made it into Q2. So yeah, Dan did qualify um, out. He got knocked out in Q1. He then took a grid penalty for power unit, started behind Sainz, and you would have thought that he would have followed Sainz through the field he had issues with the rear of his car and then ended up getting stuck behind George Russell. So he could finish no higher than 13th, unfortunately. Yuki Tsunoda, as much as we praised him for holding up Hamilton um, in the race there early on, he had his own spin that saw him drop away and finish down in 14th. So 
unfortunate for him. And then behind you've got your usual uh, Haas cars and the, and the Williamses as well, who, you know, after having such a good run of scoring points, you know, they have uh, didn't end up scoring any points this time. So that was a bit disappointing. But otherwise, you know, you can still say they've had a pretty good season. Going back to McLaren, though, and this was a point that, you know, we, we discussed as well and talked about over the weekend, is that, it, it was a bit of deja vu for them from, from Zandvoort. You know, their, their pace is still very much track-specific, which is unfortunate. Um, that needs to be rectified for, for 2022 if they do want to win races regularly and possibly uh, push for a championship. But, yeah, having track-specific pace is not going to be um, good for them if, if they are in that position to fight at the front on a regular basis. So... You know, they, they do really well there, you know, at circuits like Monza we saw and whatnot, and then Russia as well there with, with Lando until the end of the race. But here, you know, again, it was a one-horse race there with Lando, who did a great job to finish seventh, and Ricardo just being compromised by uh, qualifying again. So, you know, I'm sure he'll be looking forward to uh, heading back to Kota. Favourite track, of course, he loves uh, Austin and getting all the Texan barbecue in him. Who doesn't like Texan barbecue, though, <laughs> to be honest, it's it's so good. Uh, looking at Aston Martin as well, we already talked about Vettel, but Lance Stroll said he could do no better than P9. He dropped a place from qualifying. And, uh, yeah, the guys on Grid Talk that we did the race review um, with, that I did the race review with on Sunday, basically kind of summarised Aston Martin as a bit a bit like neutered dogs at the moment, and I couldn't agree, <laughs> I couldn't agree more with that statement. So you know they, obviously with all their pomp and everything this year, have kind of under delivered. So <laughs> I'm gonna have to say that every week. You know I can't can't really bring it up enough though. So. Yeah, that was that was Turkey. You know, exciting given the fact that the race was in intermediate conditions. It's it's good for the championship as well that it swung the other way once again. Um, as I said, it is a gap of six points between Verstappen and Hamilton heading into Circuit of the Americas, which of course is a circuit that Hamilton does love dearly. He has won the most races there, um, so it'll be interesting to see how they go in a couple of weeks. Looking elsewhere, the points though, it's important to see Bottas has kind of uh, got himself there in third place, um, even though a couple of good races from Lando could land him back into contention for third. Um, it is a bit of a pipe dream though, but Lando does have a 10-point gap over Sergio Perez behind, so he might be a bit worried about him too. Elsewhere, it's looking pretty good. Half a point between the Ferrari teammates there, Leclerc and Sainz. In the Constructors' Championship as well, it's looking like, um, what do you call it, I hate this, I hate all these half-point gaps that we've got, you know, because of, because of Spa, you know, why, why is that, so, it's a seven and a half point lead for McLaren over Ferrari in third in the Constructors, Alpha, uh, sorry, Alpine looking pretty good there in fifth over Alpha Tauri, um, whilst Aston Martin are quite a way behind there in seven, so you feel like they can do no better, and then of course Alfa Romeo and Williams have a bit of a gap too between them, so yeah, that that recaps that, you know, how many races have we got left? I think six still to go this season, you know, and we're almost midway through October, the, the season of course is going through to uh, the middle of December, which is unprecedented, which 
is something that next year is not going to be um, the case as um, is with a possible 23 race calendar for, for 2022, which will be revealed on Friday, I'm told. Um, the FIA will make it public, so got to wait till tomorrow for that. But on it, basically, the season starts March 20 there at the Bahrain Grand Prix, and we finish November 20 at the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix, as always. Um, we see races, the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix, move up into the second slot. Australian Grand Prix, importantly, moves to third on April the 10th. And a bit of chatter about that, actually, the Australian Grand Prix and how its future could very much be in doubt, you know, because of two years in a row that uh, we've missed the race and the long laundry list of races that, could possibly replace it, you know, F1 has been busy, um, despite the pandemic and having not been able to run a full calendar last year, you know, when I mean full calendar, like 20 plus races, and then also a few regular names having dropped off the calendar this year, yet we've still got 22 races that we're going to run, so, um, I don't want to say I'm fearful of, of Albert Park's future, I would really hate to see, the situation come where we don't have a race here in Australia, given that it is such a key market and it is so popular, you know, the passion of the fans as well, you know, a lot of the people I know here that I've um, been to the Australian Grand Prix with um, over the years and met at the Australian Grand Prix as well, whether they come from overseas or they're, they're locals living in Melbourne or coming in from interstate, the passion is there and, you know, it, it would be sad in particular if, you know, Australia was replaced by another race in the uh, in the Middle East, for example. That's been a bone of contention with a lot of people, and I, for one, agree with that fully. That you know, on one hand, we've got you know, we races one. We're talking about inclusivity and um, you know, ending racism and and all these human rights uh, issues. Yet you know, we're going to countries with such poor human rights records. You know, and it's. As you know, it's it's all down to the bottom dollar and whatnot, and the the Qatar Grand Prix as well. You know, there's the whole Volkswagen Audi group uh, thing in the background for for that race coming into the calendar and having that landmark ten year deal. But really, you know, do we want to lose fan favorite races like Australia, like like the Melbourne Grand Prix? I know people hate the layout and everything. You guys don't really do much justice to how cool an event it is, you know, you've got to come here and, and see the event for yourself, the buzz that you get from it being the first race, I know next year it won't be in this instance, but the, just the buzz around town and also the drivers as well, it's it's such a great feeling and, you know, I can't wait to, to be able to go back next year if the race does go ahead. And that's where also, you know, these reports and stuff have, and these discussions have come up about, you know, F1 not being happy with Australia is the fact that it is so frustrating that a year on from, or more than a year on from, you know, when the pandemic first came to Australia, um, that we're still using lockdowns as a way to, you know, suppress it, even though now that's not the case, and we've ditched the idea of COVID zero, we are trying to reach vaccination targets as well to hopefully get everything back up and running, but overall, the fact that the country still remains closed, you know, in terms of uh, allowing people to return home from overseas, you know, Australian residents that are stuck, and even allowing Australian residents 
or like um, people who are stuck in Australia to return to their respective homes elsewhere in the world. It's very backwards, you know, and it's, it's uh, you know, when you've got a witless sack of potatoes as your prime minister, then, you know, you, you know you're in for trouble. And if we lose the Australian Grand Prix because uh, F1's like, yeah, you know, your, your methods of quarantine and all that and managing the COVID situation is a bit draconian, then... I don't know what I will do. I will be pretty, pretty disappointed and upset and might leave the country and go somewhere where I can actually go see F1 racing uh, without having to do like seven-day or 14-day quarantine. But we'll, we'll wait and see. You know, it's when you hear things like this, it does it does make you a bit emotional about it. You know, it, it, is, it is a time at the moment just in general where we're all a little bit on edge and we haven't been in social situations for quite some time and you know we're a bit more sensitive to to things like that so and because I'm so as much as I'm terrified of you know facing people every day again when I return to work when when the lockdown ends I also want you know it all to be over with so we can get back to being able to go see live music live sport live motorsport um being able to travel again to all those things that I've really missed in the last 24 months as, as such even though I was lucky to go over to Adelaide over Christmas and New Year last year and, and see that and that's another thing Adelaide oh boy you know I'm so glad that they were able to save uh, the track from being torn up the old um, Adelaide Grand Prix street circuit there in the parklands recently being used as uh, the track for the V8 supercars there for the Adelaide 500 up until last year there was a councillor out there and a residential group that were petitioning for it to be torn up, but I think, you know, they were able to save it just on one vote, you know, just by one vote, so that they could uh, list it as a heritage site and whatnot, because, you know, why would you want to get rid of that history? And, you know, people in Adelaide, you know, they want to get rid of the 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 iconic scoreboard at the Adelaide Oval, for example, and now they want to tear up the track. I mean, have they got no sense of culture? As much as I love Adelaide, I think it's a beautiful city, but seriously, you, you want to tear up all the beautiful parts of it? <laughs> Unbelievable. But yeah, going back to Melbourne, I look, I'm over this. I'm totally over the fact that, you know, watching the rest of the world be able to get back to, to normal, you know, it's not as it's not been as bad as it has been elsewhere, you know, in terms of death rates and all that and even infections, you know, like today we recorded two two the two thousand two hundred cases, which is apparently the highest ever in a single day to be recorded since the start of the pandemic here in Melbourne or in Victoria. And that pales in comparison to the US and Europe, just to put it into perspective. So not that I'm not wanting to be careful and also do the right thing. At the same time, if everyone does the right thing and doesn't be a numpty and goes off doing a protest or whatever about, you know, my freedom and my rights, um, we can get back, we can get life back on track, you know. We can get back to the track and <laughs> see some Formula One cars go around because it will be exciting next year to have the, the all new regulations and whatnot come. So yeah, calendar will be revealed on Friday. We'll see if um, how it is. On the subject of 23 races, yeah, it is a bit too much and especially when there's very little gaps between them. You know, a lot of 
double headers and triple headers and all that sort of thing it's it's not really the healthiest for for staff and all that who are traveling week in week out and basically living out of a suitcase heading into supercars talk now and there's a lot to digest actually which is why i'm kind of glad i don't i'm not doing this on a weekly basis because it just kind of uh drips and drabs but it's all come out at once um uh, fortunately enough for this for this show. So, first things first is that Gen Three has been delayed till twenty twenty three. COVID to blame, supply chains restrictions, all all this stuff, and I think it's the right decision because it seems a bit half baked to introduce your whole new technical regulations, your technical package and regulations midway through a season. Like, seriously, you know, if you, if you have got a, like, red-hot championship next year or whatever, and then the rules change midway through the season, you've got a completely different car, then does that not skew the result of the championship kind of thing? So, it's better to start it fresh, start from a new season. It is a bit disappointing that it has been pushed all the way back to 2023, given that 2021 was supposed to be the year that Gen 3 came in, but when you're blaming a global pandemic and the restrictions, the fact that the country has pretty much been in lockdown for the last, you know, four months or whatever, it kind of makes sense, so, you know, we'll just have to wait and see until 2023, but they are going to have a bit of on-track testing next year, which um, we'll get to see, they're going to have a uh, a public reveal of the cars as well, or one of the cars, hopefully, there at the Bathurst 1000 at the end of this year too. So, you know, it's not like we're being kept in the dark now, but it is still just like, come on, you know. It's, it's uh, I don't know. Anyway, I just can't wait for the racing to get back on track, which, you know, it's exciting because we've got the formats as well for the four races at Sydney Motorsport Park coming up at the end of the month, so... Around eight will feature three hundred and twenty-five kilometer sprint races with only the soft tire and a night race on the Saturday night. Around nine will have three one twenty-five k races with two night races, one on the Saturday night, one on the Sunday night, and there will also be hard and soft tire combination. No refueling in these races, just a single tire stop, of course. In those short sprint races, round ten will have three of the same variety of sprint races with the soft tyre and also there will be during the day and then round 11 of course we'll have the two 250k races with only super soft tyres during the race and refueling so again a bit conservative I gotta say with these formats you know it's they're using the same track as well the 3.91 Gardner uh, variation having three lots of you know sprint races across the same or let's basically say nine spent races across the same uh, circuit, it's it's going to wear a bit thin and, you know, it, I don't know. We'll just wait and see. I would have preferred it if we only did it twice. We had, you know, two rounds where we had the 125k sprints. We had a 250k race or the two 250k race, the 500 format for, for round 10 and then round 11 have a 500km uh, a enduro or 600 kilometer enduro or something like that you know that would have been a lot better and give the co-drivers a bit of practice too so at least they're confirmed we know what's going to happen um we'll look forward to it and we'll see if you know when we get to that point you know after the first two 
weekends if the uh, 125k format does wear us a little bit thin. Going over to silly season talk now, and there has been a lot of um, silly season movements as well with uh, confirmations of certain drivers at certain places. Um, We know that James Courtney will be staying put at Tickford on a new multi-year deal now, which is uh, good for JC. Still yet to be seen whether Boost Mobile will commit to him and also Brody Kostecki, of course, who is at Erebus Motorsport. And Tickford have now completed their four-car roster with Jake Kostecki, so cousin of Brody, um, joining them from Matt Stone Racing. So a completely left-field choice, given the fact that, you know, we were speculating that it could be Bryce Fullwood coming over from uh, Walkinshaw and Drenny United, and of course he's got the sponsorship backing from Middies as well, but it's Jake Kostecki who completes that team. We know that Cam Waters, of course, is just a formality yet to be confirmed. Um, so Thomas Randall, Cam Waters, James Courtney, Jake Kostecki. It's an exciting lineup, you know, given the fact that majority of them are young. You know, it's been a long time coming from Tom Thomas Randall as well. You know, a lot of hype around him. Could he emulate the success of the likes of Chaz Mostert and Cam Waters? I'm sure Tickford will certainly hope so. It also meant that, um, sadly, Jack LeBrock would be departing from Tickford, of course. So he's likely to end up at uh, Matt Stone Racing, it seems, um, in a straight swap with Kostecki, of course. And we know the LeBrock story, unfortunately, you know, just not being able to match his teammates this year. And not being consistent enough, even though he has, I think, had a podium at the end of last year at the Bend, and his victory that he did have at the uh, at, at Sydney Motorsport Park, sorry, when racing resumed last year. So the consistency, of course, yeah, it's it's hurt him. Same thing for Bryce Forward as well, you know, in comparison to Chaz Mostert. So that's why Forward is on BJR's radar now, so he could end up there with. Andre Heimgartner being the only driver confirmed so far. So with um, that, let's quickly go over this little <laughs> this little spreadsheet spreadsheet. Little spreadsheet that I've got, you know, with all the drivers. So so far we know that Red Bull will have SVG and Brock Feeney, that's been confirmed. Shell V Power Racing keeping the same lineup of De Pasquale and Davison. Tickford, we've got the four drivers there, Walkinshaw. We're just waiting for Nick Perkat, I guess, to be announced there alongside Chas Mostert. Brad Jones Racing is where there's a lot of seats available still. Heimgartner so far is the only one confirmed, but you've got Macaulay Jones, Jack Smith, of course, with his family owning the car that he is racing. Bryce Fullwood and Todd Hazelwood yet to see how they got where those guys end up. Kelly Grove Racing, of course, who will become Grove Racing next season. They've already got David Reynolds, and we know that it will likely be Matthew Payne that joins him, the young Porsche driver. Team 18, uh, Frosty and Scott Pye confirmed to continue for next year. Same with Erebus with Brody Kostecki, Will Brown. Blanchard Racing, I guess, with Tim Slade keeping the one car. Techno Team Sydney, Fabian Coulthard, Gary Jacobson continuing. And then Matt Stone Racing you'd assume that Zane Goddard would be a shoe-in, as well as, you know, looking at options such as Jack LeBrock and even Chris Pitha, who does have uh, the backing from Coca-Cola. So that's that's good money to come in, in terms of sponsorship and all that. So still a bit to play out, I guess, and, you know, eyes are on Brad Jones Racing to see what they do next. You know, they've, they've they're the ones who've got three cars effectively to fill. Two, if you think that Jack Smith is already a, uh, uh, you know, 
a shoe in there, locked in for for that seat. And yeah, you know, just looking forward to when when the racing resumes at the end of this month. And good news as well, you know, coming out of the uh, coming out of coming out of the what the Europe, the European Union, coming out of Europe with the um, inter uh, intercontinental GT challenge um bathurst 12 hour is on for 2022 it's the first round of the intercontinental gt challenge for next year they've set provisional dates for march 18 to 20 which is of course much later than we're used to the bathurst 12 hour given that it's run in february usually um and also it keeps out of the way of other major endurance events in that time of the year and at the moment with that provisional date it does clash with the uh, Sebring race for the WEC and IMSA and given the fact that a lot of factory drivers who generally race at Bathurst that come over from Europe and the US um, will probably want to race at Sebring it's it might be interesting to see and whether Supercars is going to have any kind of clash with them too but then again Supercars does own the Bathurst 12 hour so they will look to avoid any kind of clash for next year so I hope it does go ahead I'd love to see the Bathurst 12 hour next year I'd love to be able to go there you know if if all if all is good you know get a little taste of uh racing before the Australian Grand Prix in April other than that we'll just carry on as per so again you know where I am on Twitter at Hit the Apex Media. I'll put all the links for uh, Grid Talk as well. So thank you very much for tuning in. I will, of course, take a little break next week and then be back to wrap up the Australian, not Australian, bloody hell, the United States Grand Prix from Texas. Uh, 6 a.m. race. Looking forward to it. Um, and yeah, that's it. Thanks, guys. Have a good one.